Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the That's So Mets podcast. This is episode number 13. We are rocking. We are rolling. Steve Cohen owns the Mets. We are very, very happy. Every time I get down, uh, I tell myself that it's official. So I'm pretty happy this week. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. Today, we're going to go through a couple different things, including Steve Cohen is apparently on Twitter. Uh, I don't know how officially official that is, but it looks legit. And then the Mets in, from basically every major media outlet are projected to sign at least one big free agent. It's just a question of who will it actually be. And as we always do, we're going to answer your Mets questions on the pod. So let's bring him in. Joe, how are we doing today, man? We're doing all right. Uh, pretty excited to get talking. And, you know, Steve Cohen on Twitter was a bit of a surprise. Uh, so we'll certainly dive into that. But just wanted to say to everyone, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I hope you voted. Uh, do your civic duty. Get out there, whoever you support. You know, that's Let's get this get this country online. But anyway, off of that, let's let's talk some Mets. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. And I think we're all kind of tiptoeing around it until we see that blue check next to his name. But it seems like it really is Steve Cohen on Twitter. And it was kind of cool to see him say, hey, like, you know, I want to hear from Mets fans. And I hope this isn't just like a one week kind of thing. It would be it would be nice to see Steve Cohen you know, I don't want him logging on every day and firing off some insane tweets. But, I mean, you know, every, every now and then to actually interact with the fans is pretty cool. Uh, it, it seems like he's been more in touch with the Mets fans in a span of a couple of days than, quite frankly, Jeff Wilpon ever was. And I think that's something that uh, is really important to the Mets fan, a, a passionate fan base, one that obviously wants to win, but one that kind of rides or dies with this team nonstop. And I think Steve Cohen truly understands and embraces that uh, being a fan. So it, it was cool to see, um, you know, obviously he said some things that were pretty exciting, whether it's traditions like old timers day, whether it's different improvements, uh, value packages for the ballpark, of course, it, you know, setting the goals big is something I just saw him kept saying to people think big, like think that, you know, we're in this to win this. So I, I thought it was pretty cool. Joe, what was your, and don't get me wrong. You and I were a little skeptical at first and we're like, Oh wait, no, this seems like, uh, you know, all confirmations that it's really him. What have your thoughts seeing the new Mets owner interacting with fans on Twitter? I mean, I, I think it's pretty awesome. So it, it's good to see him actually answer people because it's easy to have a Twitter account like Brody had a Twitter account and you know he wrote nice things about the Mets and all that stuff but he wasn't really answering people so it's good to see him answer people Uh, we know Jeff Wilpon had a kind of burner account that seemingly was uncovered by some people on Mets Twitter it's like it's a locked private account so you can't see anything but apparently 
Uh, it's Jeff Wilpon and used it to like spy on Mets Twitter uh, at Greenwich Mets, like the like the town in Connecticut. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, so appara- apparently that was Jeff Wilpon's uh, burner account. But no, it, it's great to see. But you know, I also want to say we're in the honeymoon phase. You know, every it's everything's rosy. He bought the Mets. He has all this money. He's talking up, you know, being competitive, bringing back old timers day, and all those things are amazing. And want I want them all to happen, but. What are his tweets going to look like, or what are his mentions going to look like when JT Real Muto resigns with the Phillies and not with the Mets? You know, I think it's it's nice to see, but I wonder how long it's really going to last on him interacting. Because uh, I think it's going to get to the point where, you know, fans, there's going to be fans out there. And if you're listening to this and you're one of these fans, just stop yourself now that legitimately will tweet him angry things i'm sure if he doesn't sign trevor bauer george springer and jt rail muto be like what do you mean you you said you were trying to win you're you're all in uh so i think you're gonna see him step back a little bit but obviously it's, it's great to see and you know to have access to your team owner it's not something that many people actually have and i think it's because he really does understand what it's like to be a fan and maybe not have your voice heard right he's somebody that you know, there was a time where Steve Cohen was simply just a fan of this team, even before he bought a minority stake in the actual franchise, before buying the, the entire franchise or 80% or whatever it's, it is. I, I actually forget. 95. 95, right? Okay. Then the Wilpons kept five. So, I mean, that's pretty insane, by the way, that number that he bought that much of the team. And it is great to see. So, um, it's it's really cool. And I think it's something that made people even more excited because, quite frankly, we just haven't seen Steve Cohen in the public eye very much, or at least for baseball reasons, we haven't seen him in the public eye. And of course there will be a press conference when this sale is closed. And I think, you know, you know, will he be one of those guys that's constantly out doing these? Probably not, but I think he's somebody that also wants to show the Met fan that, listen, things are going to change right now. And our aspirations are, to win or be expected to win almost every single season and build a contender. So, and I think something that ties to that, it's been a funny week. And, and Joe, I know you're on top of all of these. I always see you quote tweeting them, you know, every single outlet and they do a really good job. I want to make that clear. I've really enjoyed reading these stories from various uh, national baseball writers project, you know, not only introducing the top projected free agents this year, but trying to predict where they will land, and some of them even include the type of contract numbers, which is probably the real, you know, real info you're getting from this, because those guys talk to GMs, they talk to agents, they, they get the idea of what this market is going to look like. A couple of things jumped out to me. One, every single article, and this is something I saw you say, every single one of these articles is projecting the Mets to sign one of the big fish. George Springer is one. The dots have been connected there because, you know, there, there are a lot of rumors he wants to come closer to home being a Connecticut guy uh, and the Mets need a center fielder and getting an all-star one would be pretty exciting in my opinion. Also, you know, pretty clutch playoff bat. You know, there's also been a lot of predictions that the Mets will sign a JT Real Muto. Now, you know, not as much for the Trevor Bauer side of things, but Real Muto, Springer, those are the guys that keep getting connected to the Mets. Uh, with some middle-tier free agents that personally excite me, like a Charlie Morton, who I did not expect to be on the market. But even more startling is the projections of these contracts. I think one of the articles, and it might have been the Post, 
had Springer on like a five for one twenty five deal. And to me, that is that'd be an amazing deal for a thirty year old center fielder that's pretty good defensively, is a really, really good hitter. Um, I think that's a contract that would actually age quite well and better than signing a catcher. But, you know, those are longer conversations for maybe another day. But, Joe, what have your reactions been to, one, seeing the Mets basically be penciled in as big players on the market this year? And number two, the expectations that the market is quite simply uh, not going to be overwhelming in terms of the dollars thrown around on it. How freaking cool is it to see the Mets mentioned with these things? I don't know. I find It's about time. Yeah, man. I mean, it's every year MLB Trade Rumors puts out their projected list and uh, MLB.com, New York Post, everywhere puts out their projections. And I know I could just scroll to like free agent 20 or so, and that's probably about where the Mets will start to maybe, you might see their name involved. But no, now's the time to, like Steve Cohen said on Twitter, which is also funny to say, Steve Cohen saying on Twitter. Uh, like Steve Cohen said on Twitter, it's time to think big. The Mets are going to be involved with the big fish. They're not going to land every one of them. They may not even land multiple of them, but they're going to be in the conversations for all of these guys. You know, I don't know if they're going to how hard they're going to pursue Trevor Bauer, but I bet you they at least talk about it. I don't know if they'll land JT Realmuto, but they're going to talk about it. And no, it's. It's a super exciting time, and you know the hope really is that this is just a step in the in the new direction that the Mets are now big money players. And personally, on this market, you only need to sign one of these big free agents because I think everyone below the elite are going to get squeezed this year. Money is being cut across the board throughout baseball. The Yankees are cutting payroll. The Indians dropped Brad Hand a very, very good closer who was on a one-year $10 million deal. They're just like, got got to cut him. Can't can't afford him. Um, I think that's going to lead to a Francisco Lindor trade to somewhere. The Mets will probably be involved in that too. You look at the Colorado Rockies, they might have to cut some money too. That's going to make Nolan Arenado available. Uh, so there's many teams that are looking to cut money. So I think Steve Cohen coming in is going to be able to clean up in that middle to upper middle tier of the free agent class because I just don't think there's going to be teams out there that are willing to really play in that market so the Mets have a chance to have a very exciting offseason even if it only is one quote unquote major free agent so let's just say they signed Springer and you know that doesn't mean they're not also going to sign Marcus Stroman and Brad Hand and Brian uh, James McCann. Uh, someone said Brian McCann on Twitter the other day too. He's very retired. Uh, so James McCann, you know, it doesn't mean they're not going to fill the the rest of the needs without you know with bad players. There's going to be good quality players that I think the Mets are going to be able to get at a value because Steve Cohen is not absorbing the same level of loss that these other owners are because he didn't own the team last year, so he's not getting that initial deficit. Yeah, it's funny that we do like to throw that around a lot, but I also still want to give Steve Cohen credit, assuming that they are players in free agency, because the Mets were $400 million in debt. So by acquiring this team, it alone was a huge hit. But he's just so much more rich than everyone else. I don't think it really matters, quite frankly. I mean, we're talking about you know, $14 billion in worth, right? And now that doesn't mean cash flow. He's going to come out and have a a billion-dollar payroll. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it it goes to show, Joe, is that 
you know, they listen, number one, the Mets are a pretty good team. I mean, I know they didn't make the playoffs. I know it was a disappointment. I think there was a lot of factors into that. But it's it's not like he's acquiring like the Orioles, right? Where you look at it and you go, Man, they probably gotta sign Bauer and Springer and maybe trade for a star, and then they're starting to maybe become like a middle of the pack to a wild card contender. I think for the Mets, one, you need Syndergaard to get healthy. Two, you do need to add a reliable starting arm. And by adding, there was no Marcus Stroman this year. So getting him back in the fold would be adding that starting arm. Or I'm a big fan of Charlie Morton, especially here. I think Charlie Morton would, would fit in really well in the National League with the Mets as a number three or four kind of starter for this team down the stretch. That's something that I'm very intrigued by. And I also think at his age, you might be able to get him on a ridiculously market value deal. So I look at it, and I do agree with you. The Mets could and should own the intermediate kind of market, right? Like, And if they don't come away with a Springer or a Real Muto or a Bauer, it's not going to be, to me personally, it's not going to be that they failed, right? It'd be a little disappointing because those are three needs on this team. Those are the three biggest needs on this team. They need a center fielder, they need a starting pitcher, and they need a catcher. Now, I think McCann is vastly underrated where if you don't feel comfortable going to what Real Muto wants, which is probably six or seven years at a very high annual average, I'm very intrigued by the idea of signing McCann and spending your big star dollars elsewhere on a Springer, on an acquisition of Francisco Lindor where you're going to have to pay him. So I look at this situation for them and think, one, I agree they're in a very good spot, and I think they can make a lot of additions to this team that really round out. I mean, quite simply, injuries happen in baseball. It's too long of a season. Um, You know, the ramp-up period is hard enough as it is. These guys are, especially the pitchers, uh, the torque and velocity at the level they're pitching, they're going to get hurt. You're going to lose guys. So being able to build up depth in – Major League Baseball is something that, quite frankly, the Mets have not had the payroll to do in the past. Like, when is it when the Mets can go out and spend money on a bench player? When is it the Mets can go out and and spend a lot of, you know, when I say a lot, a decent amount of dollars for a, a top-tier reliever that can close you games and, and also not be relied on to be your every-night closer? Like, the Mets usually have to pick one thing at a time is what it always feels like, and it feels like those days are finally behind us. I think so, too. And like you said, depth is going to be key. So they're going to have to make sure they fill out a proper bench. They're going to have to make sure they're seven or eight starters deep. You know, Obviously, these guys aren't all going to get major league deals, but you have to pick the right guys to get minor league deals so that way you have depth behind these guys. Because like you said, there's going to be injuries. One way or another, you're going to lose a starter here or start a couple starters there it you have to be prepared for that you can't all of a sudden be like well uh sorry i guess Corey oswald's starting for a while no offense but Corey oswald i don't want him starting games anymore and w- with a good truly i believe with a good off season if the mets are able to execute this off season which i think they'll be able to with steve cohen's money and the front office that they'll end up putting together but if they're able to execute 
there's no reason the Mets can't win the NL East next year. They have a core. They have a really good core of players. Pete Alonso, Robinson Cano, Jeff McNeil, uh, you know, Mike, Michael Conforto, how did I forget our MVP? Brandon Nimmo. They're in they're in fine shape. They have an ace in Jacob DeGrom. They have another premium starter that's going to be coming back at some point in the year in Noah Syndergaard. Uh, they hopefully have a big two in the bullpen with Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo, and you certainly need to add to that as well. But if Seth Lugo's in the pen and with Edwin Diaz, you're in, you know, you're at least off to off to a decent start. So with with some right moves, the Mets can compete with anyone in the National League. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I, I think they can too, and I think, of course, health will matter. Of course, consistency will matter. But quite frankly, what matters the most is is plugging your, your weak spots. And, and they have an opportunity right in front of them to get a good jump on that this offseason. So let's dive into some of the questions here because obviously most of them are offseason related. And I think they're a lot different than the ones we've answered in the past or even the topics we've covered. The first one is from JKD Boxer 69 What are the odds the Mets eclipse the $210 million luxury tax? Uh, I... I don't know how ballsy Steve Cohen's feeling. If, he, if he's ready to come in and really drop the hammer. Well, they're well below that yeah, right now. Like, that would require the Mets spending in the neighborhood of $80 million or so this offseason on, on this year's salary. So not, you know, if you sign Springer for, you know, $100 million plus or whatever. Like, that's, that's not $100 million towards the tax. That's... 20 million or whatever his average salary is. So that would require him spending over $80 million in new money this year. And could it happen? Yeah. I'm not banking on it. You know, like you said, he's still incurring that debt, even though it's not directly impacting him the way it impacted other owners that have relied on this revenue throughout the years and now lost it. Uh, I'm guessing the payroll being the 190, 195 range. Because I also think you want to leave some room between you and the luxury tax, at least for right now. Uh, I expect Steve Cohen to be right around the luxury tax on a fairly normal basis going forward. But you want to leave some room between you and the tax. So when July comes around, okay, we need another starting pitcher because so-and-so got hurt and we, we need another reliable arm. You want to have the money available below the tax at that point. But So I would say maybe like 15% chance. 20% tops. I, I don't know if Steve Cohen's going to go there year one. I think it's fill the holes, acquire a franchise piece or two, maybe one trade, one free agent, uh, and, and you know make an impact. But I don't think he's all of a sudden going to drop a $225 million payroll out there year one. I'm with you. I think it's much of the same where it'll be, hey, even if you go out and sign, say, Springer, you know, and it's 25 mil a year or the first year you structure it where it's 25 mil and then say you trade for Lindor and you give him a mega deal and it's 30 mil a year. Right. And you know, in the year one, I mean, you're still sitting there with 25 and wiggle room. And of course they're going to sign, you know, bullpen arms or you got to get a catcher, but that just goes to show you like, that's a, that's a big gap right now. And, and I don't think they're looking to get there. Um, you know, and even if they do in-house extensions like Conforto or Cindergard, you're going to structure that where the money starts next year anyway. So I'm with you, Joe, that I think that it won't happen this year. It might be something that they're willing to take on when they look at it and go, oh, this team is a piece away. 
that'll require us to go above the luxury tax, but we're willing to sacrifice that because we think this is the championship piece. I, I think they're going to get their feet a little bit wet first. So the next question. One thing I oh, want to point ahead, out Joe. before you get to the next question, just, just for clarity purposes, when it comes to luxury tax payroll, I think it's a common misconception out there. The luxury tax payroll is calculated purely on the average annual salary of the contract. So if call it George Springer, if you give him whatever, $25 million a year on average, even if you backload it, that doesn't his luxury tax will be $25 million towards the payroll. So even if his actual salary is $19 million, that's for cash. That's how you cash it out. But luxury tax is purely the average annual salary on any contract you issue. So I think that's an important distinction that I think people confuse because I often see people tweet, just backload the deal, and then you have even more room on the tax. doesn't work that way. MLB did that on purpose. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that is a very important thing to know, and it's, it's I don't want to say savvy by MLB, but just something that obviously comes into effect. So this one from Danny, what kind of contract is Springer going to get, and would he be a fit for the Mets? So we've talked about this one a lot. Yes, he'd be a fit. He's an above-average defender in center field that is a very, very good hitter. Um, I think it comes down to, you know, I think a big thing in all of this, quite frankly, from Sandy's perspective, and I think Sandy is very good at this, they're going to look at how they think these contracts will age. And quite frankly, I think Springer's deal will age better than Real Muto's, especially on a team that doesn't necessarily want to have to assume their DH spot will be filled quite a bit by Real Muto in a couple of years. So I think when you look at it, and Springer's a guy that'll transition very nicely to a corner spot one day. Now let's assume Michael Conforto is going to be here for a very, very long time. But say you get two to three years to center field at a Springer, he plays the final one to two years in, a, in the other corner spot from Conforto. I just think that's a deal that would age very, very nicely. Now, Joe, I'm going to put it on you. What do you think the contract is going to look like, and what are your thoughts on Springer overall? Because I've I've warmed up to this one a lot over the last couple of weeks. I think you're going to have to go five years. I think that's without debate. That's not bad, though. It's, He's only 30. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to go five years on Springer. I, think it's, I don't think it's going to be too much of a you know, deterrent for the Mets to go five. I, I think four, you'll struggle to land him. So I think, and here's something that we'll learn. Now, we are fans of a big market team, Connor. We're not fans of, you know, a, a mid-market team that happens to reside in New York. We're a fan of a Couldn't big market. Yeah, we're, we're a fan of a big market team now. And the big market teams, um, you go an extra year to land the guy and you say, I'll deal with, you know, later, later. But I think Springer is perfect balance of you know five years is not too long like you say he's 30 going on 31 I think he'll be 31 on opening day but either way a, a five-year deal it does it doesn't bother me and I think salary wise you're going to be over 20 million dollars a year I don't know if it'll be quite 25 maybe 22 23 because again even Springer his market will be a little diluted this year like the Springers, the Rail Mutos, the Bowers, those guys are going to get theirs, but it might be a little less than they may have gotten if they were free agents last year, for example. So if you're looking at five years, $23 million a year, I guess is probably my my guess. Um, I think that's a perfectly great deal for the Mets. And would he be a fit? 
like a glove. Uh, he reminds me uh, of a a better Curtis Granderson when the Mets signed Curtis Granderson a few years ago, where it was, look, we need a center fielder, and Granderson was able to play center field for half of the contract, and they moved to a corner and was very good in right field for the Mets. So I think he's a great fit. He'll play center field for the next two to three years, and then the last couple years of the deal, he could shift to left or right if you want to move Conforto to left. I, I think Springer would be elite in a corner. So you're not worried about a guy that's going to become a DH halfway through the deal. You're not worried about, you know, with a catcher like Rail Muto, a 30-year-old catcher, if you give him a five- or six-year deal, at what point do you have to figure out something else with him? That's, you know, it's a shrug your shoulders, I'm not sure. So Springer, to me, is a great fit. Local guy, plays a position of need, hits for power, gets on base. He's a clutch postseason player, and the Mets are looking to be a postseason team. So having something like that, I think, I think he would make a Granderson-level impact. A little more, but, you know, a Granderson-level impact, which we all know how big of a factor Granderson was in the Mets' success in 2015. I really... I really like that comparison, and you know, when you look at it, and I said Springer was 30, he just turned 31 in the fall, so he's considered the older one of the big three free agents, I mean, whatever, I think Granderson was, you know, 32 yeah, I th- or 33. Yeah, th- he was 32, he and he got a four-year deal, so it's basically the same yeah. thing. Yep, now, a really important thing to note that you did, you know, and this must be something Sandy values as well. I think Granderson had appeared in the postseason in four different years uh, before the Mets signed him. He once in Detroit three different years with the Yankees and had, had hit with some pop and hit pretty well. And, and then obviously for the Mets, I mean, God, you know, in 2015 in that NLDS against the Dodgers, he hit almost 400 and had some of the biggest hits of that entire series. So, and he actually... We almost forget this. He hit three home runs in the World Series yep. for the Mets, which, you know, so it might, it's probably something that they're going to look at because this is a young Mets team. Like, Alonzo hasn't been to the postseason. McNeil hasn't been to the postseason. Dom Smith. A lot of these guys have not been to the postseason, and even Conforto and Syndergaard were so young when they were there. And DeGrom, you know, obviously you want him back there, but a lot of the young position players haven't been there. So you might want a, a more of a veteran kind of presence that's been there before, calm the nerves, and, and feel good about. So, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think there's just a lot of reasons why this is a fit. There's a lot of reasons why if you do a quick search of George Springer, everybody is already talking about the fit with the Mets in him. It, it just seems like a re- – now, we're not saying it's necessarily going to happen, but there's a lot of ways to connect the dots of, of why I think, and I know Joe agrees, it would be a really, really exciting signing. And – the next question is from Access Baseball. Do you see you Darvish as a potential trade candidate considering the Cubs are looking to cut payroll? Yeah, I think this is another opportunity for Steve Cohen to strike. These teams that are looking to cut payroll, you should be asking about these guys. Like, can I get you Darvish on the cheap because you need to get rid of money? Uh, if you need, if you fall, if you don't get George Springer or Jackie Bradley, you need a center fielder. Do you go to Milwaukee and say you're trying to cut salary? Uh, Lorenzo Cain, send him our way. You could play defense in center field. You know, there, there's going to be so many different opportunities. And a, as we go on and really get more knowledge of where teams are thinking financially, I'll be able to you know better give you some 
more options where the Mets could probably take advantage of. But no, that's that's exactly the kind of thing that Steve Cohen should be looking to do. Because not everything's going to be a free agent. We just know the free agent list, so it's the easiest thing to talk about. But if the Cubs are looking to trade off you Darvish because of his money, Steve Cohen should say, we'll do you the solid. We're not going to give you a ton back. We'll give you some stuff back. But if you're looking to just shed money, you know, we'll listen. So, yeah, I, I don't see why not. Uh, I think the Cubs are on the list, and it's a long list of teams that are looking to cut money. So Steve Cohen will be able to take advantage of, and Sandy Alderson and the rest of their front office, they'll be able to take advantage of somebody in, in this case, is if that's Cleveland with Francisco Lindor, if that's Colorado with Nolan Arenado, if that's Chicago with Hugh Darvish. You know, there's going to be opportunities. So I'm very interested to see how he maybe manipulates that market. I was going to say, I know he was very good last year, but Darvish is slated to make 22 mil, then 19 mil, then 18 mil. So he's on the payroll for the next three years at ages 34, 35, 36. I think that's going to scare a lot of teams where you're right, Joe. If you're making that deal, while he had a very successful season last year, I don't think there's much return there at all. You are strictly just taking on the dollars with the thought that, hey, at age 36, that deal might not look very good, even at age 35. I think if you trade for him, you're saying, hey, can we get one more real top-tier year out of this guy because he's somebody that has an injury history, has an inconsistency history, but when he's on, he's an all-star frontline starter. So I think that's a really good example Uh, This is a really good question because those are the kind of names that I'll say this right now on the pod. I guarantee the Mets make a move that we did not see coming at all. Like we, we talk every week, Joe and I on this podcast and with you guys asking the questions about Trevor Bauer, about Real Muto, about Springer. I mean, we've gone through it to the point where we talk about names like McCann and Brad Hand and Charlie Morton. We go all the way down the list. We've talked about the top tier trade candidates. I bet there is a move out there like a you, Darvish. I hadn't even thought of that until we read this question where you sit there and go, oh, wow, I did not see that coming. But that makes sense because Mets didn't have to give up a lot. More importantly, they're just taking on the money. And quite frankly, this is a team that needs starting pitching. And you know what's actually really interesting? Like you said, uh, Darvish, what's it? You said 20, 19, and then 18 the next three years? Yeah, 22, 19, 22, 19, 18. So... If, it's a big number. It, it's a big number, but if year three comes and Darvish is done, the Mets with Steve Cohen, he has the money to just say, well, sunk cost. Cut him, trade, you know, eat a bunch of the money and trade him. You know, it, we're in a different financial world now. You know, the Mets aren't going to be hindered by a contract of $15, $18 million. Like, uh, you don't want too many of them that you have to eat, but if you have to eat one here and there, Steve Cohen has the money to just say, okay, you know, it is what it is. It's a sunk cost. It, so I think that's going to change the dynamic of kind of how this team operates going forward in a big way. Because the Mets couldn't do that with anything. Like if you made $7 million, it was almost a deterrent. <laughs> they couldn't eat that. So no, that'll I mean, make a difference. It absolutely was. I mean, it absolutely was. Look at Jed Lowry paid to do nothing. Yep. I mean, there's so many different 
Yeah, it's a it's a big turning point for the team. The last question for episode number 13 here, and this is a Joe question if I've ever read one, from one Shining Mets loyal listener. It's been reported the Mets will have a GM and president of baseball ops. What is the difference in their day-to-day roles? Does the GM have real power in that structure, or is the president of baseball ops calling the shots? So this is a fun question, and I'm glad that we're talking about it, because I actually was talking to a couple people in the game this week to kind of get a vibe of how this structure works because you know I was under the impression that Sandy Alderson was going to be the president of baseball operations that is not the case Sandy Alderson is going to be the team president so not to be confused he will oversee everything in regards to the organization not just baseball you know marketing finance all this stuff he's going to be just basically running the Mets uh, as an organization whereas the president of baseball operations would obviously be the top dog in the baseball department and the GM would be the number two. And there are some organizations that do it. Uh, the Cubs, notably. Theo Epstein's the president and uh, Jed Hoyer is the GM. And the more I've talked to people and the more I've thought about it, you know, I, everything's rosy right now. I'm going to throw a little bit here. I don't think I'm a fan of this structure. The more I'm learning, the more I'm talking about it, I don't want dual baseball decision guys. I want one decision maker. So, you know, the Yankees, for example, Brian Cashman's the president and GM. So he's both. I want that. That's what I want. I want one person making the baseball decisions. And you're going to have assistant GMs, you know, special assistants and advisors and everything like that to help them out. But I don't really know if this structured tier like this is what is going to actually be best for the Mets, to be totally honest. Because frankly, you know, I I think I tweeted last week, you know, if we're talking president and then GM, give me Billy Owens as president and Emil Saude as GM. But Emil Saude is the number two in Arizona. What's his allure to come to New York and leave a job for people that, you know, he's known a long time to be the number two here instead? I mean, I guess you could just buy people. Steve Cohen has that option. And, you know, that's certainly money talks. But I wonder if this structure will limit the candidates that you can actually bring in for these roles. Because how split are they going to have the president and the GM? Like, is if Billy Owens comes in as the president, is he the boss and whoever they hire as GM is his number two? Or is the GM and president working together? So it, it, it just becomes very complicated as to where the decision-making actually is. So the more I've thought about it, the less I'm a fan of this structure, to be totally honest with you. Typically, when NFL teams try to do this, uh, from my understanding, is basically you're creating more uh, upper-tier roles, right? And the Colts are a really good example because, you know, they have a guy like Chris Ballard there as the GM but to keep a guy like Ed Dodds that could very well be a GM next year, they make him assistant GM, right? There's not a lot of assistant GMs necessarily around football. You have your directors or your your VPs, things like that. But to get that title is a big deal. So the way I look at it with the Mets and in baseball, this is essentially a way for Steve Cohen to get more very, very high-level people in the building. Now, Like you said, Joe, there is a risk to it, right? Because Sandy's the guy that is going to be running the team. 
the president of baseball ops will have significant, significant leverage. And I think Sandy is getting to the point where he is going to let whoever they hire to do that role really make the baseball-related decisions uh, from a personnel standpoint quite often. Now, then you look at it and go, God, well, what about the GM? Like, that's a, that's a big role. The GM, though, in that situation obviously has influence on personnel. And you can also start to delegate roles, right? Like, you can have a guy that does handle trades. You can have a guy that does do, you know, typical pro free agency. You can have a guy that might do your international free agency. Now, that that's the point of getting more big names in the building is that you feel equipped to handle the many, many different areas of the game. Um, you know, and obviously analytics is going to be one for the Mets as well. Those roles will not probably oversee that uh, every single day, more of a high-level overseeing. So that's really all it is. Now, you're right, Joe. It can create a divide that can cause issues, quite frankly. Now, I'm not saying it will, because I think the reason Steve Cohen hired Sandy Alderson is to get the right people in the building that work together, not necessarily the best people as standalone evaluators or decision makers, but the right ones in a group. So I think there's a very long thought out process with having both of these roles. And I'll say this, it is not cheap to have this many roles on your payroll. So Steve Cohen is basically opening the wallet and saying, I am doing everything I can from every single corner of this franchise to make us the best. So there's some positive takeaways. There's some uh, concern or reason for being a skeptic. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how they make these hires and how they do these interviews. Yeah, my, my, my real concern, because I like you said, Sandy Allison's going to make this work. So if they hire Billy Owens and Bobby Heck, just using those guys as an example, he's hiring them because he believes they will work together. But my idea is I'm looking for, you know, this is what I personally want. I'm looking for the next great guy. I, I don't, you know, experience is a great thing. And, you know, I think the president of baseball operations will probably be someone with, you know, a lot of experience. But these young, smart you know, future GM stars, they're not going to leave unless they're in control. So I think this structure, it leads for the possibility that you're limiting your search a little bit. And that's where I'm kind of turned off a little bit. But uh, Sandy Allerson probably knows more than I do. <laughs> I'm willing to bet. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust his judgment. But you know, I'm very interested to see what this interview list actually looks like. So let's get this deal closed as soon as possible. Let's go sign some papers. Let's get the press conference going. Let's ask the right questions to Steve Cohen and Sandy. And, you know, let's, they're ready. To, I mean, they're ready to go. Steve Cohen even tweeted, you know, in his, or I'm sorry, not tweeted, in his statement when, you know, about, you know, the deal being done, they bought the team, got approved, everything. He goes, free agency starts Sunday. Let's go Mets. So like this guy's just waiting. He's ready to go. He probably has the pen and glued to his hand. He's like, just tell me when I'm signing a paper and let's go. So I'm very excited to see where the search goes. I have a little concern. You know, I, I, this podcast is going to be, you know, positive, negative. We're going to tell it like it is. So uh, I have some concerns, but 
depending on how they fill it and what they do, maybe that alleviates some of them. But just a little concern with kind of how that structure will work because there's going to be assistant GMs, like you said. So there's going to be a whole bunch of cooks in that kitchen, and sometimes that's not the best recipe. So, I mean, hope hopefully it is here, but it's certainly something that I, I felt important to mention. And we'll be covering all of it. I mean, we really will. It's going to be... You know, we say it every week, but now I, this is the last episode before the sale is expected to close. And what that quite means is uh, the Mets can start making real moves. Once the sale closes, Steve Cohen can walk in uh, to the owner's suite, meet with Sandy Alderson and say, hey, you know, here's our interview list. Hey, here's our free agent targets now. I do wonder how much free agent activity they take part in. Without having both of those roles filled, I, and God, Brody's still there. I mean, he won't be, but it's, I'm just saying, Brody technically is still, uh, uh, you know, working for the Mets. So these are all things that we'll be on top of over the next couple of weeks. And for the loyal listeners of the show, there might be weeks where we have to ramp up and and do two episodes a week. We did an emergency show when Cohen was approved as the owner. Uh, we promise to do those when and if this team makes a big signing, makes a big trade, makes a huge hire. So it's going to be a couple wild weeks. But Joe, closing thoughts from episode number 13 today. Excited to really, like you said, let's get the steel closed. Let's get rolling. Uh, I can't wait to talk about real rumors and, you know, real signings. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, a nice Thursday that evening we'll get word that the Mets agreed to a deal with George Springer or JT Rail Muto. And, you know, we'll I'll drop you a text and say, Connor, let's hop on for 15 minutes and talk about the contract and what it all means. So, no, I'm this, this offseason is going to be super exciting. So everyone, please follow at That's So Mets Pod on Twitter. Follow me at PSL to Flushing. Follow Connor at Connor J. Rogers. And please, it helps a ton. Rate, review. You know, I see your reviews. You know, maybe we'll maybe we'll do something to read some reviews on, on air if we could, you know, get that ramped up. And appreciate all the five-star reviews we're we're just getting started and really excited to see where that so Mets is going to go. I love to hear that. Exactly. All right, guys. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to keep up with. Finally, a Mets winter where they will be very, very busy. And with that being said, we'll catch you next week. The sun is shining, flowers are blooming, birds are singing, and everything seems fresh and new. It's the best time of the year. It's time for spring savings at your local Publix store. Pick up a spring savings coupon book from the Publix Information Center at the store's entrance or ask customer service for a copy. You can save over $90 on your favorite brands, including GSK, Energizer, Colgate, Palmolive, Kimberly Clark, and more. But hurry, the sale only lasts through April 15th. Happy spring savings from Publix.